Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new episode of the Supercluster Podcast. This is Robin from Washington, D.C. We are taping remotely. We have a special guest with us today, Laura Forsick, a consultant in the space industry, the founder of Astrolytical, and the author of a new book called The Space Age Millennials. And Laura's on the show today to talk about her book, talk about her work in the space industry and our community, and talk about where the space industry is potentially heading in this new COVID-19 world. Laura, first off, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Laura, let's start with your book because I've seen some folks tweeting about it and I've seen some chatter about it on Twitter. And I think from what I've heard, it offers a really cool, fresh perspective on where space exploration is right now. Can you give us, you know, the gist of what your book is about and why you decided to write it? Sure. Yeah. So I wrote this book. I started writing it about four years ago now when there was a lot of negative publicity about millennials. And to define millennials, we are in our 20s and 30s. And it's a bit of a frustration point on my point. It was a lot of stereotypes about what millennials are and aren't. And I got frustrated because it didn't ring true to me. So I wrote the book to really tell the stories of millennials who are working in the space sector or studying to work in the space sector who had a different perspective than what I was hearing. And I interviewed over 100 people for this book. I got ranges from undergraduate students through early career professionals through CEOs of their own company. And I really wanted to tell their stories. I wanted to focus on their perspectives about the space sector now, what got them inspired, what they're doing, how they're working right now, how they like to work, and where they want to go in the future, what they think millennials will accomplish in our lifetimes. And it ended up being quite a refreshing perspective on the future. That sounds incredible and something that needs to be said right now. There's a whole new generation of young folks who are coming up in this industry that do have a really bright outlook on the space industry's future and our role in the solar system. Now, Laura, obviously, I don't want you to give away your book here, but I'm sure you came across some extraordinary stories and folks without giving us too much detail, because I do want folks to go out and get your book and read it. Can you tell us a couple of things that really stood out to you in your research? And, you know, what what did you learn writing this book? Yeah, I, I wrote the majority of the book last year when we were going through a lot of the Apollo 11 anniversary celebrations and, and even now with Apollo 13 anniversary celebrations and, and all the different achievements of the past that we are right to celebrate. And it was a very nostalgic look at the past. But what I found through writing the book and doing the research and and hearing from fellow millennials was that it wasn't necessarily Apollo that inspired them. They weren't alive during Apollo. Apollo inspired a generation for sure, but it wasn't necessarily millennials. And NASA itself only had a small part to play in inspiring millennials to work in space. What was the key inspiration is the new space movement, some people call it, the especially SpaceX and all the exciting things that are being done right now with some of the newer companies, SpaceX, Blue Origin, Virgin Galactic, some of the breakthrough technologies that are being developed with reusable rocketry and hopefully lowering costs and access to space. And that's both human access to space. And people also mentioned some of the smaller things like CubeSats and SmallSats and, and that kind of accessibility, which really makes space relatable for a lot of millennials. They realize they can get involved a lot more easily than in the past, both human spaceflight themselves with space tourism 
and also with these CubeSats and smaller, more accessible, more affordable technologies. So that really stood out to me as something really contrasting what we usually hear. We usually hear perspectives of the geopolitical America first kind of idea of why we go into space. Why should NASA and the United States focus on space exploration? Because we want American leadership. We hear that all the time from politicians, but for millennials, that was not something at all that rung true for most of them. For most of them, it was very international, very forward thinking in terms of the partnerships and collaborations that will be established with both public-private partnerships and just the futuristic thinking of purely commercial spaceflight. Now, yeah, and you're right to say that I'm in agreement with that take that millennials are a little bit more globalized in their thinking. For me personally, some of that narrative sounds a little bit nationalistic or or dabbles in nationalism and a little bit, a lot of the America first stuff and that comes from this administration. But overall, I do see a lot of that thinking prominent in the industry today from a lot of these folks that were, you know, calling millennials. And that I guess that includes myself as well. Laura, what is happening right now? And what's the attitude for this community in the context of COVID-19? I know a lot of folks, you know, are graduating in their engineering programs or whatever programs they're working in to go into the space industry. That is a wide array of subjects and talents. The space industry is I don't want to say they're carrying on, but launches are still happening and some companies are still operating like SpaceX, ULA, and a lot of resources for these companies like Virgin Orbit and even Virgin Galactic are being redirected to help with this crisis, like making ventilators, sand sanitizers, masks, things like that. But speaking in general terms, on the outlook. What is the outlook for these young folks entering the field now? Is it a different playing field? Is space relatively protected from the larger crisis? What do you think? Yeah, it's a challenge right now for everybody. And we see space here in the United States being categorized as an essential industry, especially the more defense-related work that's being done in the aerospace industry. So those jobs are are hiring right now. I know I've seen a lot of the traditional contractors say how much they're hiring at the moment. So if you're a Mm -hmm. young professional or a student, that's where you're probably going to find the most work within the United States. It's different if you're outside the United States. But I think that After we get through this rough period right now, it'll still be a really good time for some of the non-defense work. We see, for example, NASA really ramping up a lot of what they're doing with Artemis and assuming that Congress doesn't completely <laughs> gut the program or, right. or you know, um, the next administration, if, if there's a new administration coming up, if they don't get the program, I think we're going to see a lot of resurgence of a lot of the, the moon contracts, both robotic and human, as well mm-hmm. as a lot of the cislunar activity. And that's really exciting for a lot of the smaller companies that aren't defense related. That's right. And one point I wanted to ask you about, because a lot of these folks, and you talked about new space and you talked about SpaceX, Blue Origin, a lot of these companies are inspiring young entrepreneurs, like people who see a little bit of themselves in Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson, some of the you know startup figures from back in the day, the early days of the internet, things like that. What would you advise those young entrepreneurs who are leaving their education and their first jobs behind to start their own projects and and companies. 
Is it a smart idea to do that right now? Or do you think people should power through with their ideas? What do you think? For most people, it'd be really risky to start their own business, in, even in good times. But that doesn't mean it's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And you'll see people starting companies right now, whether it's companies related to you know, the, the medical crisis or whether it's companies, strictly space companies. And it really depends on the people's certain situations and their ideas. And we are seeing a lot of investors pull back right now. But on the other hand, a lot of investors are really long-term thinkers. And so right now is actually might be a good time for you to start trying to propose those long view kind of things to the right investors to get those kinds of activities started while while you've got free time potentially if you're laid off or furloughed or if you're a student right. who can't find work right now very very challenging time but you have to have a long view if you can and who knows maybe government contracts will be able to be accessible to some smaller companies some newer companies i know that both within the defense arena and nasa seem to be accelerating their contracts right now both awarding them and also payouts So I wouldn't necessarily advise it for most people right now, but it's certainly an option and it could be a really good option for some people. Now, looking at the privatization of space and where a lot of these jobs are going to be available and, you know, in these private companies that are contracting for whether it's, you know, the Air Force or Space Force or NASA, a lot of those lucrative contracts come from the government. But let's say in the world of the privatized industry, it seems that we are sort of at the a first turning point here where the first privately crewed mission to the International Space Station is about to occur with SpaceX and NASA on Dragon 2. What kind of shift? Is this a big paradigm shift? First of all, is this a big moment? What is the risk up here in going forward and moving human spaceflight over to a privatized Firm and many different firms that'll follow SpaceX. Yeah, we've been waiting for this moment for a long time. And I, like everyone else, am very <laughs> right? excited to finally see this happen within the mm-hmm. next month or two. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be a little bit conservative and say that it might slip into June, although I hope it still goes at the end. Oh, of that the is day. not even, and, and, and Laura, I've been doing this in person for five years. Let me tell you, that is, you don't even have to say that's conservative. I'm planning <laughs> for DM2 in early June because. You know, there's usual delays and then there's going to be testing delays and just delays. And that is just the reality of space. So, yeah, I'm also planning for early June maybe mid-June. Right, right. And I I even took a look last year at the delays of both programs, both SpaceX and Boeing's commercial crew programs Mm -hmm. and how they've delayed over the years. And so we've been waiting Mm -hmm. for this moment for a really long time since the space shuttle ended is pretty much how long we've been waiting for some other company to be able to step up and and do this. And and it's a really exciting time. I don't know how much of a paradigm shift it's going to be. It really depends on where these companies, I'm talking SpaceX and Boeing, where they can take Mm -hmm. this capability. So whether they stick with government contracting or whether they're able to to utilize these capabilities for taking up private space flyers or other government, non-NASA, non-American. Non-military. Yeah. Or perhaps even to a separate space station. So maybe Axiom in the future, Bigelow if they come back from being furloughed, you know, some other company in the future that starts up, you know, where these capabilities can take us. And that's the great thing about the commercial crew program and the cargo program before it was that it's really meant to be helping commercial companies develop these capabilities 
to start up these new industries, to start up transportation services to space, both in orbit and hopefully beyond. Really excited about cislunar and lunar space and in the future in Mars. And, and I, I, right. I really hope to see this development continue with the government as an anchor customer, just like they're trying to do with ISS now. Right. And just going back to your book here and all the folks that you've talked to, the aerospace students that I've talked to throughout my career and some of the folks in our community, a lot of them are driven by one singular goal or one singular amazing thing that they're interested in. And so I, I would divide that into a few categories. Some people want to return to the moon and stay there. Some folks are looking at Mars and colonizing Mars or settling Mars, I should say. And some folks are looking beyond that. And some people have, everyone has their thing. What's your thing? If there is one. Oh, I've always been a moon girl since I was in third grade. So that's how long I've been into space and wanting to be an astronaut on the moon. It's just one of those things that's really captivated me. And and as an astrophysicist, Mm -hmm. I also loved Hubble. And and we're celebrating Hubble's 30th anniversary right now. The beautiful creations that we see in the Hubble images and and all these beautiful phenomena. My My first research job was studying some really cool exploding stars. So I love the also the idea of searching for life, whether within our solar system on some of these fantastic moons that we have in our solar system or on exoplanets. Mm -hmm. So I have this like wide ranging list of interests where I myself want to go to space, but I I also support so many other space endeavors. And and another thing that's really captured my attention over the past years has been how much capability we have with satellite systems, how much data that's giving us to really touch all these different industries here on Earth. Earth. I used to work for CASIS, which now goes under ISS National Lab. And part of my job was right. to help find these opportunities for companies that not are necessarily at all into space. Maybe they never even thought of space, but they can use space data or space technology or the space environment right. to really help with right. other technologies for life on Earth, to better life on Earth. So the big question of why are we spending so much money on space, it's to better life on Earth. It's to help all people everywhere. Right. And I think pharmaceutical companies and biomedical companies are some of the first folks to see benefits in testing things in space or looking at doing some of that research on the space station in zero G. But yes, CASIS has been one of the leaders in the past few years of getting experiments and research to the space station from organizations that wouldn't typically do so, which is part of democratizing space. I mean, that's what I wanted. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, Laura, what does that term mean? I've seen it a lot in our community. I've seen folks talk about the subject a lot. What is democratizing space? Yeah, that's a good question because there's no solid answer. Right. Um, and I, right. I, I see that term a lot now too. And the way that I read it is that it really takes space to the people. One of the mm-hmm. things that is really a motto for my company, something that I stand on, is that space is for everyone, space is for all. And so that's not just saying that it's the elite of the elite at NASA or the secretive Mm -hmm. folks in the Defense Department. It's really for everybody, every nation, every background, everybody. And so that's, to me, the idea of democratizing space is the fact that we are now coming to a time where space can be accessible in some way or another. I'm not talking about actual astronauts necessarily, hopefully in the future, but in some way, people around the world, whoever they are, can 
use space for their own benefit and have that control over the agenda and the use of space. Right. And it's not just about going to space. It's about having the access to send your experiment or send your research or collect research from space and be a part of the decision making and the building of a platform of space. And I think it was Jeff Bezos who makes the comparison that space is the next internet. It's a platform for entrepreneurs and individuals who want to use it to do something amazing. And I, that's the way I see democratizing space is any individual that can have access to what space provides. And it's much more than just spacewalking, which is everyone's goal and dream. But getting a CubeSat up there also for many universities and uh, organizations around the world is something that's really important. And, and that brings us back to the entrepreneurialism in the industry. There's a lot of new companies popping up that are trying to address the issue of small launches and space access, whether it's Virgin Orbit, Relativity, or Rocket Lab. And Laura, what, what do you see in the future for these smaller companies that are coming behind you know, ULA and SpaceX? And with smaller rockets, I, you mentioned the, the new world of small sats is coming and a lot of folks are saying that this is going to be a tens of billion dollar market. And a lot of investment firms are saying that this is extremely lucrative market that's emerging here. Obviously, this was all before the pandemic. But speaking in just general terms, Laura, what are we looking at here for a competitive launcher industry? Is it going to be a, a couple? Is it going to be, are we going to be able to have a healthy amount of competition? It, it's going to be a little bit more than a couple, but not much more. <laughs> um, we see okay. right now, I think the, the counts up to like 135 or so small launcher companies in development or wow. operational. Yeah, it's it, incredible. Right. I used to have a list, but now I defer to my, my colleague who keeps a very extensive list. And mm. it's just incredible <laughs> how many of these companies pop up because people are under this impression that launch is easy. But you and I know the right. launch is never easy. Um, it, it's it, the hardest thing. It's yeah, it the, is one of the hardest difficult. things. For- it is. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to build the hardware, to get the testing, even for some of these right. really small launch companies that are just trying to do very small rockets. The, right. the investments are, are right now going to be cutting back a little bit, but it's not to say mm-hmm. it's impossible. And we we have seen companies come through and we, we do see Rocket Lab launching on a semi-regular basis now. And so it's not right. impossible. But we also see other companies that you know, we're doing quite well, not do so well, like Vector, for example, and Firefly, which went under and came back, and hopefully they'll continue to grow and and succeed as well. So I think that here in the United States, at least, we'll have a couple that will succeed. And then I think in Asia, we're going to see a few that succeed and maybe one or two in Europe. But it's going to be a challenge because of just how difficult it is and the lack of funds. It's a saturated market. But when he turns it out to the customers, there's a question of how many customers. And, and I think there's plenty of customers who will line up for the right price point to launch their CubeSats mm-hmm. or small sats into orbit for sure. There's a lot of customers who are who are, want that space environment. And it could be just smaller customers, you know, universities or or even high schools, and and they could be some smaller, you know, some smaller companies that really want to get into the constellations. And of course, we already right. know there's plenty of mega constellations planned. <laughs> And um, mm-hmm. SpaceX launches their own, but there are some other ones. You know, that's a really tough market to get into right now. A lot of those companies aren't going to succeed either. 
but you never know what new company is going to pop up that has a need. And that doesn't even get into the military side of things and how they could use small sats and small sat launchers and especially the rapid launch capability that small sat might bring. The military is always after rapid deployment. And I feel like their investments over the years have shown that, especially through DARPA and other national security agencies. Rapid deployment is important. Small launchers, very important to the military. And even with all these smaller launchers coming up, companies like SpaceX are starting up their own small launch capabilities with payload sharing and things like that. I I know that SpaceX recently put a, a thing on their website for assembling or getting on a small sat launch. So it even the bigger companies are seeing the profit, you know, the the potential profits they can make from small satellite industry. I'm personally hoping as a person who love loves rocket launches in general, I would love to see many rockets launching per day. That's a rare thing and I know that Rocket Lab is moving to Wallops, Virginia, which is a couple of hours away from me to start launching from there which is amazing. And Relativity, I think they have a launch pad that they're leasing. And it does seem that there's a couple of agencies ahead of the pack, like those two. And then there's going to be the ones that fail, like Vector. But the overall industry right now, Laura, are we looking at the same future we were looking at three months ago? I mean, or is the space industry going to have to... You see, what I'm thinking of is the bottom line here. How many small sat payloads come from universities? How many universities are closed right now and remain closed for a year? And, you know, we know that there's a lot of grants going through right now for NASA projects, and a lot of those are small sats and cube sats and stuff. But in general terms, how much adjustment is the space industry, quote unquote, going to have to make for this virus? It's too soon to tell, but it's definitely having an impact already. And it's probably going to be an impact for several years. But I wouldn't say that it's going to fundamentally change much unless, of course, a new administration cancels things that have already happened and or takes a different perspective or funding is is so cut that there's a lot that is significantly delayed and doesn't doesn't come back. But I think that we'll see, just like after, if you recall back in 2011 when the space shuttle retired and things were really down and you saw a lot of people unemployed, a lot of companies left, went under, it, it was a bad time. But things came back and it just took a little while. But in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long. 2011 wasn't actually that long ago. So I think that will be something similar. It just depends on how much of a recession or depression, how much that whole economy impacts the space sector because it will. And it just depends on how much it will, how how long the delays occur, Mm -hmm. how much of the workforce, especially the younger workforce, will have to go to different industries. It's really too soon to tell. It's not a good time for anybody. But on the other hand, I think that space could also be a really great point of inspiration. I think we've seen that from Jim Bridenstine, the NASA administrator, who's talking about we need to get people back flying into space from America because it's an inspiration to Mm -hmm. Americans. And I can definitely see that point of view. You know, I don't know necessarily Mm -hmm. if it's worth the risk in terms of, you know, health-wise risks with the pandemic, but I can definitely see the the point of view where NASA in general has, has done these fantastic inspirational things over the decades that inspire the country to come together and unite over something positive. And I think we could use that right now. I 100% agree with you. And, you know, I'm, I'm conflicted about the DM2 launch, and I do see it as critical for the space station and just our long-term goals. But I also see 
the risk of having people work and do you know doing all the things just leaving your house is dangerous during this pandemic so i do see two points of view here and i'm personally conflicted on it so yeah i'm just waiting and like you said it's too early to tell what direction we're actually heading in i think we're and many would agree that we're still in the beginning phases of this pandemic so we'll see what will happen yeah and thinking long term though i think that our goals remain the same we are still human we still have that goal to explore and i think if i still asked millennials today what they want to accomplish in their lifetimes i think they'd give me the same answer which is search for life go to mars Mm -hmm. touch the humans going to mars and and all these fantastic things that they want to accomplish, you know, given decades of time. So this is just a moment in history. And I think that if you look long term, we're we're going to be okay. I'm happy to hear you say that, Laura. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is because your your experience is so wide ranging, especially with your consulting agency, Astrolytical. I want to play a quick fun game with you where I name a program or a space thing and you give me your quick take on it, whatever that take (laughs) is. And I'm going to start with one of my favorite things. James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, I'm so excited about James Webb Space Telescope. I think it'll be a lot like Hubble, where Hubble was a disaster in terms of delays and money. (laughs) We don't think about that anymore 30 years out. We think about just how much it's given us about the universe. And Mm -hmm. I think that James Webb is going to be the same. We're we're in a mess right now with James Webb. But once it's Mm -hmm. launched and operational and crossing fingers, that it's going to Mm -hmm. give us some fantastic science. Yeah, I'm so excited for that. Okay, Mars Perseverance rover. I really love Mars. I, I'm really hoping that NASA can launch it this year because if they can't <laughs> this year, we know it's going to be delayed two years. So I'm really excited. I know. I am I'm, I'm a big oh Mars fan, although I'm, I'm a moon girl first. I, I love mm-hmm. Mars and I really love curiosity and spirit and opportunity and I'm looking forward to Perseverance. Okay, Starship. Yeah. I I love the model that SpaceX has of doing things really fast yeah. and breaking things. And mm-hmm. I'm amused mm-hmm. each time they have a new serial number starship that they're trying to break in a sense. So mm-hmm. I love this concept. I don't know if it's going to end up being what they say it's going to be, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of hundreds of people to Mars and all of that, maybe in a century. But um, right. I do love the ambition behind it. And if Elon Musk can keep funding it, then more power to him. You know, and speaking of funding, what about Starlink? Yeah, so I've been talking a lot about Starlink because I am torn about it. On the one hand, I love the idea of giving the internet to the masses. It's part of my goal of bringing space to everybody, making space accessible to everybody. On the other hand, as an astronomer, I completely understand the objections of astronomers. Mm -hmm. Like long-term thinking, though, I'm thinking it's going to have to be a compromise, just how electric lights 100 years ago changed our horizon. I think that Starlink and other constellations are going to change just how we how we view the, the night sky, and we'll have to compromise somehow. That's a great way of thinking of it, and I think that's what will end up happening is that I think each side will find a way to work with each other. I, too, also see the concerns, and I do also see SpaceX trying to figure out how to deal with it. But, okay, so we'll move on from Starlink. One more. I'm going to ask you about Blue Origin. Oh, I love Blue Origin. I like that they are not a hype company. They mm-hmm. they don't tend to overpromise and underdeliver. And and I also am a big fan of the O'Neillian kind of viewpoints that Jeff Bezos has. And I'm really mm-hmm. looking forward to seeing them launch people. I don't know when. I know that their whole mission is to go slowly and, and do it right. And, right. and I don't know how slowly they're planning to go, but I really, really want to see them launch people pretty soon. <laughs> 
every time I talk to Blue Origin, they always give me the tortoise and the hare analogy. They yes. always do. Every time I've talked to them throughout the last few years. <laughs> I was going to, one more thing, because I got to ask you what your favorite space movie is, just because I'm super curious. Oh my gosh, that's a good question. So I Am I putting on- you on the spot? Okay, before I-, I before I ask you that though, let me ask you Martian or Interstellar, because that's something I ask everyone. And that doesn't have to be like your favorite I love movie. the Martian. Okay. I love how realistic okay. it is. He took liberties, mm-hmm. of course, with, you know, Martian yeah. atmosphere, it's, but I love it. It's Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, I grew up watching the Alien series, Alien and Aliens. And for some reason, that's oh, yeah. been probably because of the idea that uh, Ripley warned everybody about a contagion and they didn't listen. To it. <laughs> it's been on the internet a lot. That. I'm like, yes, yeah. everyone just listened to the strong, right, intelligent woman. <laughs> right. And, and Ripley yeah. was the hero of mine growing up. So <laughs> I, I love the Alien movies. I also love how it reminds me of the experience now. It's more of yeah. like a commercial nitty-gritty view. And I mm-hmm. love Star Trek, but Star Trek's very sterile. So I think it's real space is going to be like yeah. alien. Mm-hmm. And just going back to Alien and calling out how I feel like the accuracy of them setting up this like private company like Wayland and Wayland Utani. I thought that was pretty accurate of what we might be looking at in a hundred years. So I just want to call that out. Accurate. I can then, totally see yeah. a company putting the lives of their employees below oh. the, <laughs> the profit oh, yeah. of a new discovery. And that's what the expanse is about. Yeah. To, to dig asteroids and stuff. So yes, I completely see that. Alora, it was such a pleasure having you on the show. How can our listeners, one, order your book to find you on social media? Great. Thanks so much for having me. So you can find my book on paperback and ebook on Amazon, ebook on Barnes and Noble. And I'm in the process of trying to record the audiobook right now, which is slow going in a house with two young kids. <laughs> and you can find understand. me on Twitter at Lara Forsick, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening, guys. And we will be back with you next week. <laughs>